Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. White Tangy Day, 1966, and the year ahead looks good for God's own. In February, the Queen Mum popped in for a pikelet and a cup of tea. Visits of the royal family are great occasions in the lives of the people of New Zealand. Your Majesty knows that our people have a particularly strong sense of loyalty to the Crown. And so the arrival of uh, royal visitors arouses unbounded enthusiasm and interest in our country. In August, the All Blacks downtrowed the British Lions. Goes to Watkins. Watkins stands still. He's going to be caught. Taken to the ground by Nathan. Nathan picks it up now. He tries to burst downfield. Smith with the ball. Back in field it is to Tremaine. He's given it to Colin Reeves. And this is glorious. And Colin Reeves is caught by the post. Ten yards to the right of the post. Got a trouble, mind, and I'm feeling sad. Maria Dellis, the pride of Morrinsville. Had a huge hit song. Princess Kitty is being led in by an elder. There was sadness over the death of Te Koriki Mahuta, but excitement at the coronation of his daughter, Princess Piki. The first Māori queen, Te Atairangi Kahu, would reign for 40 years. See Howard Morrison, John Hoare, Paul Walden, Peter Poser, and all those beautiful girls in the Miss New Zealand show. Sure, you could watch the Miss New Zealand show on telly if you wanted, but if your taste ran in other directions, then you were sweet, because Country Calendar debuted this year too. In short, it seemed the good ship Aotearoa was sailing straight and smooth. But was there rough water under the keel? In the world of change and uncertainty in which we live today, it's always a source, source of strength and comfort uh, to remind ourselves of those good, strong, immutable things which bind us together as a people. What was all this change and uncertainty the Governor-General was banging on about? Did he know something? Did Maria Dallas? Oh, yeah. Maybe she did. Kia ora, I'm Justin Gregory, this is Eyewitness, and we're talking 1966, the year our wool trade went arse up, our economy packed a sad, and it all nearly came tumbling down. Nineteen sixty-six seemed at first like just another typical year in Woolly Valley. Kiwi Keith Holyoke was about halfway through his thousand-year run as Prime Minister. We had one of the highest standards of living in the world, full employment, low inflation, and no need to bust a gut worrying about stuff. Steady as she goes was the motto. We were rich, settled, a bit boring, and everyone was as good as each other. We're very egalitarian people. Uh, there's a lot of social cohesiveness, partly by ignoring minorities. I mean, to say Maori 
and women were not high on our agenda. This is economist Brian Easton. He remembers New Zealand back then as a nice place, but a bit insular. I have a lot of contact with the rest of the world, but that was universal. And economically, it was insulated. Insulated by wool. Coarse wool, to be precise, which made up 40% of our export revenue since the wool boom began in 1951. Sheep meat was big for us too, and in short, all those jokes about Kiwis and sheep? Probably justified. But it seemed to be working for us, and we could stiff-arm the world and its problems away. Yeah. Nah. Because the end of the golden weather was on its way. Unlike most OECD countries, we had not begun to liberalise the economy following the war. New Zealand had a very controlled economy. Tight import controls, wage controls, price controls, you name it. And a tightly controlled economy went with a fairly tightly controlled society too. If you think the 60s were swinging all over New Zealand, then you need to think again. We had compulsory military service and the death penalty for treason. It had only been since 1961 that people at a restaurant were allowed to order a glass of wine with their meal. And there were cracks appearing everywhere. Anti-apartheid protests opposed South African sporting teams coming here and us going there. Prison riots broke out across the country in 1965. Police were concerned enough about violent crime to set up the Armed Offenders Squad. There were large protests across the country about our troops being sent to Vietnam. And when US President Lyndon Johnson visited in 1966, a huge crowd cheered him, but a bloody loud group of roosters booed him too. Have a listen. And here we have this magnificent car bringing the President of the United States to the steps of our seat of government. Well, what a scene of affection from the people of Wellington, shall we say the people of New Zealand. But, like I say, a controlled economy was working for us. We were doing really well, right up until the moment that we weren't. Insulation works, um, except that you're not very good at dealing with shocks, and that's what happened in 1966. So what exactly happened? Well... Like I said, our economy was built on the sheep's woolly back as well as its legs, loins and shoulders. If you chuck in beef and dairy, then pastoral products were around 60% of our export revenue. It was the woolly equivalent of having all your eggs in one basket. Now, to protect that basket, we had the wool board, which would decide upon a minimum floor price for coarse wool sales. If prices at auction went below that level, then the board would bid and sometimes buy wool to drive the price back up again. And it very rarely ever did, because the floor price was set relatively low. The plan turned out to be a few sammies short of a picnic because on the 14th of December 1966 the auction price collapsed by 40% and the wool board found itself having to buy up a third of the total clip which was about 600,000 bales. So, you know, that that was basically a cut of 16% in our total export revenue. One dollar and six went down. Oh yes, I tumble and I tumble and I tumble and Remember I said most of our export sales were to Britain? That was about 65% of them. So we had only one real export commodity and only one real market to sell it in. Australia, that other great sheep nation, they weren't affected as much as us because they sold fine walls and they'd recently discovered a lot of valuable stuff in the ground that they could dig up. We were in this alone. It was diversify or die. So Kiwi farmers just got on with it. 
They went into beef and they went into forestry and they went into goats and they went into venison. So they began to diversify from a market signal rather than anything the government did. The government did do its bit by devaluing the dollar, making manufacturing more profitable. A great change was underway. In 1965, New Zealand was one of the most undiverse, most concentrated countries in the OECD. By 1980, that's just 15 years later, we became in the middle. I've not seen any other country that diversified as fast as that. But it wasn't fun. Over the next 15 years, slow economic growth meant unemployment and inflation. There were two oil shocks in the 70s. Oh, and Britain, our biggest market and then some, told us to naff off and started seeing other people. It was a bloody mare, really, and it's a wonder our economy didn't just cark it entirely. The answers seemed to be subsidies and incentives and to just make more stuff and get it out there, and that did work for a while. The diversification of our exports had done wonders, but it hadn't done enough. And by 1980, Prime Minister Robert Muldoon, he was looking at some bad options. Basically, the strategy was to try and liberalise on the external side, on exports and so on. But the internal economy was maintained. And you couldn't actually make that distinction. But that's what Muldoon tried to do. He was a very slow market liberaliser. And the result was that in 1984, with the arrival of the new Labour government, there were people who were very committed to liberalisation and did it very rapidly with a lot of pain. You could argue the effects of the 66 wall shock went all the way to not just 1984, but to the first MMP election in 1996. The Longy Douglas Labour government came into power. It did a very rapid diversification. Now, it didn't ever really explain well what it was doing. So the people booted them out in uh, 1990, and a new government came in, which again broke the promises it did to the public. So in 1993... The public said they were browned off with government and they looked for a different way, one which would be more responsive to the public. And MMP happened to be the way we solved that. Brian says over the 30 years it took for the Woolshock to work its way through our economy, we lost about 25% of our relative place in the OECD. And we never really got it back. And we changed as people too. There is a sense in which there is a break in the New Zealand social tradition around about 1990 from a society which used to be proud to be egalitarian, to be classless, to one in which it's a much harsher, tougher world. Partly able to maintain egalitarian society by ignoring groups. We ignored Maori, but they poured into the cities in the 1970s and 80s, and their needs had to be addressed. But again in the 1970s in particular, mothers moved from the kitchen or the nursery into the workforce. So we actually had had an increasingly complicated society. Brian believes that if the 66 wool shock hadn't occurred and we hadn't diversified, most of us now would be living in Australia, which did kind of happen. And we might have become an Australian state which didn't, obviously. We talk a lot today about how reliant we are on dairy and tourism. So could we have another shock like 1966? A milkshake? Brian thinks no, but he does fret a bit about our dependence on China. And the countries that are related to China, which run from, say, Korea down 
to Australia, all the rest of East Asia there, probably it's getting towards 60%. So if China had a major crisis, we would be very vulnerable. And that's one of the reasons, incidentally, why we are so desperate to do extra free trade deals. And the two big ones are to do one with India and to do one with the European Union, part of the diversification strategy. Well, it's a good thing we're getting on so well with China right now, eh? This episode of Eyewitness was made using audio from Nataunga Sound and Vision, Namihi for that. And the hud mahi of mixing was done by Blair Stagpool and Rangi Powick. The producer was Justin Gregory, that's me. Tim Watkin is the executive producer of all podcasts at RNZ. You can subscribe to Eyewitness and every other RNZ podcast series at Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, and of course at Te Reo Irirangi o Aotearoa, or rnz.co.nz. And if you subscribe through Apple Podcasts, then please give us a rating, that way more people get to hear about us. And if sheep are your thing, then subscribe to RNZ's excellent podcast series, Black Sheep, about the shady, controversial and sometimes downright villainous characters of New Zealand history. That's presented by our own William Ray, but there aren't any actual sheep in it, though. Eyewitness will be back in a couple of months. Until then, ma te wa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.